Hi Church, welcome again to our weekend services here at the Cornerstone that's coming to you online. Um, by the way, this weekend will be the last time that we're coming to you in the current format where it is a pre-recorded service. As of next weekend onwards, we will be telecasting to you live from our venue at uh, Katong, both on Saturday night at 5pm as well as on Sunday at 10.15am. In any case, this weekend I'm continuing into part two of our uh, Freedom Series and uh, talking about being made free. And this week, I want to cover two more areas in which we need to experience personal freedom in. Now, in the last message, uh, I spoke about how the desire for freedom is really an innate desire in every single one of us because God created us with the desire for freedom and God created us with the quality of free will. At the same time, biblical freedom isn't about being able to do whatever it is that we want to do, but it is about freedom on the inside, freedom from sin, freedom from our appetites. And you see, part of the controversy of Jesus during his time was that the Jewish people were really looking for a saviour that would deliver them and give them freedom on the outside. And in their case, it was against the Roman Empire, which was ruling over the nation of Israel at that time. However, Jesus instead focused on uh, freedom that is on the inside. And this message just didn't sit well with the Jewish people because Jesus was focused on being free from the bondage of sin. I also mentioned last, uh, in, our, in my last message that we talked about two levels of freedom. There is freedom that's individually, uh, whereby each of us needs to experience freedom in our lives you know, uh, from various areas. And then once we have uh, achieved that, once we have begun to experience that, then we can come together and talk about freedom that is being expressed through a community because none of us exists alone, but God has called us to come together and to, to uh, function as a community. Now, also in my previous message, we talked about being free individually in two areas, in the area of sexual immorality, as well as in the area of our appetites. And this week, I want to cover two more areas uh, of our lives that needs to experience freedom. The first uh, area I want to talk about this weekend is being free in our souls. Now, we need to understand that the Bible teaches us that we are a tripartite being. And that means that we have a body, a soul, as well as a spirit. Now, our body is our physical person. And last week, we talked about how God calls our body the temple of the Holy Spirit. And therefore, it is important for us to look after our physical bodies. Our spirit is that part of us which is made alive when we give our lives to Jesus Christ. And that is the part that communes with the Spirit of God. And finally, there is our soul. And our soul is where our emotions, our personality, and our will, those things resides in our soul. And in particular, I want to focus on our emotions this weekend. You see, the reason is because so much of what we do is motivated from an emotional level of who we are. Unfortunately, this is not how God intends for us to be driven. You know, as born-again, spirit-filled followers of Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us that God wants us to be a people that is led by the Spirit of God and not driven by our emotions. Romans chapter 8, verse 14 tells us this, that for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. The word sons here, of course, uh, includes women and daughters as well. But what is particular to note is that it is the uh, Greek word huios, which means to be fully matured sons, sons and daughters who are fully grown up. You see, when Cain's offering was rejected by God in Genesis chapter 4, uh, Cain began to harbour ill will towards, towards his brother Abel. Of course, we know subsequently that that result, 
resulted in the murder of uh, Abel. But before that happened, the Lord came to Cain and spoke to Cain the following words. He said, Why are you angry? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Please take note of this. The Lord said to Cain, you should rule over it, rule over your anger, rule over your emotions. You see, God's desire is for us to rule over and have control over our emotions. Now, this is an area in which I particularly identify with because oftentimes in my conversations with my kids, we talk about each other's weaknesses that we need to work on. And my kids uh, do uh, say to me, hey, you know, Dad, sometimes you can be very emotional. In fact, we've heard this uh, modern terminology being used many times about people uh, to describe, hey, someone is being emo, right? And that's what it means, being emotional, where we allow our emotions to rule over us instead of us ruling over our emotions. Now, um, there is something about negative emotions. If you look at what the Lord said to Cain, right? The Lord said, why are you angry? That's a negative emotion, right? And why is your countenance fallen, you know? And then he says, if you do well, will you not be accepted, right? And if you do not do well, then sin lies at its door, but you should overcome it. You should rule over it. You see, whenever we feel offended or whenever we feel uh, disturbed, you know, it is important that we pause and take stock of our emotions as to why we are feeling the way we do. Here's a hypothetical example. Say, for example, you know, you were to go out for lunch or you were to, to go out to the malls, you know, and somehow, you know, a uh, quarrel or a contention breaks up, uh, breaks out between yourself and some strangers. Maybe it's over a parking lot, maybe over a position in our queue. And then all of a sudden, it gets us all riled up and upset. And uh, it is in these moments that we really need to pause for a moment and consider. Now, if we didn't do anything wrong and we are wrong by others, then what is the big deal as Christians? The commandment that God gave to us, you know, as followers of Jesus Christ is that we are to turn the other cheek. And I promise you this, that we will never ever be shortchanged when we turn the other cheek. But if we are upset and in the, in the assessment of our emotions, we discovered, hey, maybe we are in the wrong as well and we have done something wrong. Then the second part of that com, uh, instruction from God to Cain is applicable for us. It is time to settle down and to make right our wrongs. You see, the words that the Lord gave to Cain is applicable for all of us. When you are angry, you know, ask yourself, why are you angry? Why is your countenance fallen? If you have done right, you will be accepted. But if you have done wrong, then don't let your emotions get a hold of you. Overcome them. You see, for there to be true freedom, we must come to a place whereby we are no longer ruled by our feelings or driven by our feelings. Now, I want to talk about one area in which we need to really understand in order for us to have mastery over our emotions. And that is understanding our worth. You see, many people struggle in a sense you know, with a sense of their own uh, worth and value. And the problem comes when we wrongly place where our sense of worth should come from. People value themselves uh, based on what others, you know, say about them or how they uh, value them or how the media decides that they should be valued, especially in a society, a modern society like ours. Social norms can become a huge dictator of how we deem our own worth to be, Right? For example, we might think, hey, academic results is what defines our worth or how much we earn, what kind of car do we live, uh, do we drive and what kind of a house do we live in, you know, and how many social uh, media responses do we get when we post something amongst others. Let me tell you, none of these things are healthy and they should not 
be our, uh, the place through which we de derive our sense of worth because they are not a true reflection of our worth. You know, one of the things that I personally struggled with is the sense of my own worth. And because, you know, I never quite obtained the affirmation that I really wanted from my natural father. I remember when I was uh, 14 years old in second, uh, secondary school in SEC 2, um, I'd done really well in my mathematics that, that year, and I, I believe I had 98% um, aggregate, you know, by the end of the year upon 100. And, you know, I, I thought to myself when I brought my results back to my dad that he would really, uh, you know, pat me on the back and praise me and gave me the approval that I really longed for. But I clearly remember on the evening as I showed him my report book, the first words out of my father's mouth were these uh, questions. What happened to the two points? How did it go missing, you know? And instead of praise, it was as though nothing I did would be enough to satisfy him. You know, as a result, I became a very competitive person because I felt like, you know, I was seeking for worth uh, from all the people around me and all the things that I did. I thought that what I did, what I labored on, you know, uh, is going to be, uh, is going to prove to myself, this is my worth. And I had this conception that I had to earn everything, um, you know, by the works that I do. But let me tell you this, that's not how the Bible works. Amen? I mean, salvation for us did not come because of our works, but it came by the grace and the mercy of God that is freely given to us. Now, I want to say this, that diligence is a great virtue. But it is important for us to understand the motivation behind our diligence. And that will tell us if that diligence is rightly placed. You see, when you have a piece of machinery, it is measured by the number of labor hours or work hours it can churn out continuously without breaking down. And the reason that is its worth, that machinery's worth, is because that is what it was created and designed for. But let me tell you this, human worth is not measured by how many work hours we can produce. Amen? You know, while it is right to measure a machine by its work hours, it is not right to do so with humans because the, the reason God created us is not to become machines and to keep doing work day in and day out. God did not create us for that purpose. And so that is not a proper measure of our worth. So what is the purpose for which God created us? That's a great question to ask. And I want to give you three answers that comes from the Scriptures. The first is that God created us to rule and to govern. Now, this is amongst the first commandments given to mankind when God created Adam and Eve. And He said to them that they should have dominion over all that God has created upon this, this earth. And this is repeated in Psalms chapter 8, verse 6, which says, You have made Him, mankind, to have dominion over the works of your hands, and you have put all things under His feet. Now, here's another insightful uh, scripture found in Romans chapter 8, verse 19. And it says, For the earnest expectation of creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. You see, we are given dominion over creation, and creation is eagerly waiting for this revealing of the mature sons and the mature daughters of God that would rightly reign and have dominion over creation. You see, the rule and to govern simply means this, that we need to overcome sin, we need to overcome the enemy. Because these are things that we battle with. But at the same time, it's not just overcoming these things, about, it's about uh, arising and fulfilling the good works that God has designed specifically for us to do. Now, Acts chapter 13, verse 36, Paul gives a description of King David's life. And, uh, you know, I want to look at this scripture because it is very applicable for us because King David was a king and the king is one who rules and who has 
dominion. And it says in this verse that David served his own generation by the will of God. What we can understand is that each of us are born in a particular generation and it is by design, it is not by accident. And within that generation, we are entrusted with an assignment. And this is what David did. David, in his generation, in his time, he served his generation. He did what he was supposed to bring to that generation by the will of God. This is what it means to rule and to govern, that we must serve out what we are called to do in our generation faithfully according to God's will. The question is this, are we doing that? Because that's the true measure of our work. Are we, to, are we bringing to the world what God designed us to bring as a blessing to this world? Now, the second thing that our purpose for which we are created is the fellowship with God. I love this, okay? Because this is why we are created. We are created to know God and to fellowship with God. Jesus said in John chapter 17, verse 3, This is eternal life, that we may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. You see, this is what life is about. And not just this present life, but eternity. We're created for relationship with God. Paul declared in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10 to 11, that his life aim is to know Christ, particularly in three areas, in the power of his resurrection, in his suffering, and in his death. You see, this is so amazing. I don't know if you grasp the gravi uh, gravity of this. Then you know, God created us so that we can have fellowship with Him. He created us for companionship with Himself. You see, when Adam was created, he was first created before woman was created. And something in him longed for a companion. And so God brought all the animals and all the living creatures before Adam. And Adam looked at all the living creatures and there wasn't a suitable companion that was found for Adam. And therefore, God put Adam to sleep and then, you know, he opened up the side of Adam, took a rib out and with the rib, he formed woman. And when Adam looked at the woman, he looked at Eve, he said, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. In other words, Eve was made of the same material inside and outside. And that's why she's a completely compatible companion to Adam. Now, this is a type for us to understand God's desire for a relationship with, with us. Because think for a moment, God is also looking for companions. He searched amongst the creatures and he's found none. And therefore, at the cross of Jesus Christ, when Jesus was hanging on the cross, the Roman soldier came and he pierced the side of Jesus. And I believe with all my heart that God the Father at that moment reached his hands out into the side of Jesus, pulled the rib out, and he created the church. The same way God, God took a rib out from the side of Adam and created his bride for Adam, so did God take a rib out of the side of our Lord Jesus and formed the church. And that's why the church is called the bride of Jesus Christ. And when we are born again, let me say this, we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. We become bone of His bones, flesh of His flesh, and we become a suitable companion for Jesus Christ. This is our purpose. This is our worth. You see, our worth is simply because of the fact that God created us as a compatible companion to Himself. Amen. What an amazing revelation if we could understand this. Finally, the third purpose for which God created us is to glorify Himself. Our purpose is to bring praise and glory to God as we serve Him and as we obey Him. You see, in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 11, it says, If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. 
Amen. Again, Isaiah the prophet tells us that we are created for God's glory. In Isaiah 43 verse 7, he says, Everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created for my glory, I have formed him. Yes, I have made him. You see, our job is not to draw people's attention to ourselves. Our job is not to win medals or to you know, win accolades for ourselves or to become a great influencer. But instead, our job is to draw people's attention to our God. If we understand this to our purpose, how liberating it would be. It wouldn't be about ourselves, it would be about God. It will liberate us from competition. It will liberate us from a performance mentality because our job is simply to point people to Jesus. You see, church, as we peruse through the personalities in the Bible, we see a whole array of issues that arose because people allowed their emotions to rule over them. David had an issue with numbers, you know, and for some reason, he came to a point in his life, towards the end of his life, where his sense of worth was really rooted in the strength of his army. And hence, he called for a numbering of the people, and this is found in 2 Samuel chapter 24, verse 1. He called for a census. And let me read you this verse. Again, the anger of the Lord is aroused against Israel, and he moved David against them and said uh, to say, go number Israel and Judah. Now, there are a couple of things that we can glean from this one verse alone that is fascinating. Firstly, the whole incident started because Israel was doing something that was displeasing to the Lord. God's intention was to judge the nation of Israel because it says that the anger of God was aroused against Israel, right? And then he goes on and he instigates David to number the people. You know, subsequently in verse 10, you know, uh, we're told this, that after numbering the people, David's heart condemned himself, you know, and he confessed his sin to the Lord. So there was also something in David, right, that God wanted to deal with. There was an issue that was remaining in David's life. David was coming towards the end of his life, and God was going to perfect David before God brought David back uh, to, the, to himself, you know. But I want to say this, okay, that we read this and sometimes we think, wow, God is the one who instigated David, then why is God judging the people, right? And God, but the, the, the point also to note is this, that God could not have stirred David to number the people if the issues of number was not something that was already inside David. In other words, you know, God cannot hook that thing out of David unless there was something for which God could hook it onto. Amen? In other words, there was this problem with David and God was going to deal with this issue of pride that was in David, you know, and, uh, and he was, you know, perhaps David was, had come to a point in his life where he was drawing his confidence from the size of his army or maybe there was such wealth, there was such increase, there was such, you know, uh, victories that God had given to David and David began to forget that it was God who did that. And so God used this opportunity to both punish Israel as well as to deal with an area in David's life. Now, this is where someone gets arrogant, right? Someone gets emotional. Someone allows their souls to become puffed up because of the natural success that had come to them. And, it was, and, the, and this is exactly what it looks like, a person that is being ruled by his soul instead of a person who is walking by the Spirit. Now, I don't have enough time and this one message to give us all the other examples that are there in detail. But think about this, right? Reuben violated his father's concubine, Abraham's concubine, because he was jealous on, on behalf of his mother. He took offense on behalf of his mother. Jacob relied constantly in his own strength to find solution for his problems, and that's why God had to deal with him. 
Jehoshaphat allowed his friendship to override his loyalty and obedience to God. Peter wavered depending on how he was feeling, whether some, some days he was feeling really you know, uh, confident and other days he was feeling you know, uh, wavering. You know, he moved by his feelings until God touched him. John Mark gave up halfway into the mission trip because his strength failed. And probably the most dynamic uh, you know, apostolic team of Paul and Barnabas split up because there was a quarrel over John Mark. And these were all examples whereby emotions rule instead of allowing the Spirit to uh, direct. And you see, when emotions rule, we invariably will be on the losing end. Now, the final area of freedom I want to talk about is not so much of a uh, clear-cut thing whereby it is an internal insight inward issue. But I want to talk about financial freedom, okay? And I want to begin by giving us two verses. One is in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 7. And it says, The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is servant or slave to the lender. Romans chapter 13, verse 8 says this, Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled uh, the law. You see, essentially the Bible tells us that debt is not something good. If there is one debt that we should have, it is a debt to love one another. And let me tell you this as well, that debt is no fun. That is most definitely not the will of God for our lives. And, um, you know, while I'm here uh, today to uh, assure you that I'm not here to uh, say that we absolutely cannot have any debts in our life, because, you know, there are provisions in the Old Testament for debt, and because there are certain situations that may arise in our lives. But I am here to tell you that not all debts are equal. Some debts are acceptable for a season or a period of time. Other debts are a definite no-no, irregardless of the situation that you find yourself in. You know, if I'm talking to the people who are listening who are from Singapore, Singaporeans, then you know that Singapore has a very unique system of uh, public housing that the government here has instituted. And essentially, you know, to own a uh, house or a, a government housing, you know, you have to incur some kind of a debt at the onset in which the government helps us with. However, peculiar to this system, you need to understand that this is a system that greatly favours uh, the, the uh, people that are purchasing the homes because the system was designed to help newly wedded couples uh, own a property. And for Singaporeans to sink their roots into this nation and, uh, and own a portion or part and, to, you know, and become a stakeholder in our nation. And this is how our housing scheme here in Singapore is intended and how it has been designed. You know, I'm not here to discuss about the rising cost of public housing. That's altogether a different matter and it's a complex matter. But there is no doubt that our government's desire is to aid first-time house owners to purchase a property for themselves. So when we obtain a loan, you know, in, uh, in purchasing your HDB flats, okay, it is a very different context, okay. These are loans that are genuinely there to enable rather than to enslave, okay. And even then, it is always good for us to remember this, to clear our debts as soon as we are able to, amen. It's always good to be debt-free. However, there are other forms of debts that are definitely no-no. Take, for example, credit card debts. You know, debts or borrowings that are, you know, to finance a lifestyle, you know, or bad habits such as gambling, drinking, you know, and these debts can never, ever be justified. 
Again, I'm not here to deal with debt issues. For example, if you are in some kind of a debt issue, you know, I'm, I, I'm not, this message is not to help you fix the problems and help you come out debt-free. Okay? Instead, if you are currently in some kind of a debt that's dilapidating, that is substantive, I want to encourage you to approach your cell leaders, your zone leaders, and your cluster pastors, and we will help you because the, uh, the, the journey to becoming debt-free is not an easy journey and we will take you through that journey. In fact, over the years that we have been pastoring here in Cornerstone, uh, we have taken people um, uh, out of debt you know, in the quantum of millions to tens of thousands of dollars. And the process is difficult and it's a very, very painful process. But we have helped people go through that. Amen. And um, because oftentimes debt is really an indicator of a much deeper issue that is rooted in people's lives. So it takes some time for us to help people come debt-free. But this message, what I do want to do is lay out for us some simple practical wisdom so that we can stay financially healthy and hopefully be debt-free and not get into debt in the first place, okay? So I want to give us a few practical uh, help. The first is that we are to live beneath our means, okay? Now, if you download the Church Scribe app, there will be a couple of slides that I have here. And in particular, you'll see two graphs that I present to you. you know, one on the, uh, the first graph is, you know, you'll see two parallel lines that are, you know, going upwards. And the lines basically represent your income as well as your expenses. Now, this would be the common practice that people do, that as income increase, expenditure also goes up. But the increase in their expenditure isn't because, you know, they, you know, there are greater costs that are incurred, but simply because as our income increases, many of us begin to increase our lifestyles as well. We buy more expensive cars, we eat, at, uh, we eat out more often instead of going to JB or Penang, you know, for our holidays, you know, we start flying off to faraway countries and we start spending a lot more. And so, you know, expenditure goes up. Now, this graph represents living within our means. You're not spending more than what you're earning, but you're spending quite a bit in proportion to how much you're earning. I want to say that this is not ideal, this is not wisdom, that we are not, to, uh, not we are, you know, it's not wise for us to live within our means. But if you look at the second graph, it shows us what we should do, that as income increases, we should watch the increase in our lifestyle so that our expenditure doesn't increase at the same rate that our income increases. In fact, if we can keep our expenditure flat, you know, and minimal increase, then you will, what you'll create is you'll create more savings each month. You'll create more margin. This is what it means to live beneath our means. So wisdom is not living within our means, it's living beneath our means. The second piece of advice I would give to us is to keep as few credit cards as possible. You know, keep the usage of credit to a minimum you know, and yeah, we sometimes need credit cards as we travel, but you got to make sure that you pay off the full sum of your credit card at the end of each month. One of the things my parents taught me when I was growing up and I got my first credit card was that at the end of each month, I must pay up the full sum that has been incurred on my credit card because the interest rates on credit cards are very high and they can snowball very quickly into a very substantial amount of debt. You know, in fact, I would advise for us to keep only a minimum number of credit cards. Personally, I just have two that I use. Uh, I, I would have loved to go to one credit card, but, you know, um, there's one that I use, you know, um, you know, for fair price, you know, and the other I use for every other expenses. 
And some of you might think to yourself, no, I should you know, use my credit card more. You know, there are all these points that I can earn. Let me tell you, I've never met a multi-millionaire who got rich because of credit card points and credit card vouchers, okay? But it is just to be wise you know, that we don't do that. You know, another thing to be careful is uh, look out for higher purchase uh, products. You know, buy a TV 12 months, 24 months, uh, interest-free. And those interest-free installments you know, are linked to credit cards. Now, while they look very good on the outside, but, you know, that is, they're only good if you pay your installments, you know, punctually every month. The moment you miss a payment, they will no longer be interest-free. They will be interest-bearing, but it will be interest-bearing on your credit cards, right? So that's going to be very expensive. The third piece of advice is to save up for emergencies. Savings are important. Now, whatever comes in each month, you know, is, uh, if whatever comes in each month is, is fully expended, then you're not being wise, okay? Because emergencies will arise. You know, air conditioning will break, the fridge may break down. You know, there'll be little things that crops up in which you will need funds for. And I want to encourage you to start saving. It doesn't matter how much. Begin with a small amount. If it is $100 a month, begin there. But what you want to work towards is you want to work towards somewhere between three to six months at least of your monthly expenses that you have set aside as saving. And that's a, that, that's a minimum, okay? And if you can, you know, you should save much more than that. Amen? The fourth is to learn to invest uh, wisely, okay? And investing isn't playing in the stock market. It's not buying and selling on, uh, you know, uh, hedging, you know, in, uh, on, on those fluctuations in the stock market. Uh, no. Investing is not buying cryptocurrencies either. And it is most definitely not some kind of a get-rich-quick scheme, right? But investing is like planting a seed and letting the seed grow over time. And, you know, as, and, and, and time, that, that little seed that you planted grows into a tree. Now, hence, it is important for us to know exactly, you know, uh, what is it that we are investing into, you know, because you want to make sure that it is producing a good tree and producing good fruits. Now, many people, you know, may just buy a unit trust or they may buy a basket of stocks or some kind of investment scheme that the banks may be selling to you, not knowing exactly what the real investments are. I want to encourage us to really find out as best as we can. You know, we may not be able to find out all the details, but as best as we can, what is it that we are investing into? The key is to think long-term and not short-term. And if you are a little bit more savvy financially, then you may want to do other things, you know, by like diversifying uh, your investments and structuring it in a proper manner, hedging it, or whatever it might be that you would do. But whatever it is, if you're a simple person like me, then think about simple investments like an endowment fund, you know, um, secured um, bonds, you know, uh, or simply if your CPF isn't been uh, maxed out, you know, then top up your CPF because the CPF does give you a very good return on what you have set aside for your retirement, right? Now, the fifth uh, practical advice I want to give to you is to save up to give away. Saving up isn't meant, uh, uh, this kind of saving up isn't meant just for rainy days, but we save up so that we can give away what we have saved up. Now, these savings might be kept differently uh, from the savings that's meant for, re, uh, uh, for rainy days. And, and the reason is because their purpose is quite different. The Bible tells us this, uh, that it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. And that is truth. And therefore, God gives us the opportunity. He gives seed to the sower so that we can learn and we can enjoy the blessings of giving. At the same time, you know, another scripture tells us that we give to the poor, that when we give to the poor, we are lending to the Lord. And trust me, God owes uh, no one anything and He returns us with an extremely good uh, interest rate, okay? Not, perhaps not 
naturally in this life, but for sure in the life that is to come. And so it is about living to the fullness that God wants us to experience. And that's why we save up to give because the joy of giving, the blessing of giving that God wants to bring into our lives. And this is an area, our finances, that we just don't want to come under bondage in. Amen? And, and we want to not just not come under bondage, but we want to have the freedom and we have the abundance to be able to be a blessing. You see, church, these kind of things are important for us to experience because Jesus desires for us to be free. It is only that when we are free on the inside that we can be free on the outside and we can fully serve God and obey God. Now know this, that this is the will of God for every one of us, my brothers and sisters, that the Lord desires for us to be free and therefore He has set us free. Amen. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we just come to you, Lord, as your people. We thank you, Lord, for the freedom that Jesus has obtained for us, Lord. And the words that Jesus said, that him whom the Son has set free is free indeed, Lord. So I pray for my brothers and my sisters who are listening and tuning in today, O God, that you would speak to us by your Holy Spirit, Lord, that we will not be people that are led by our souls, by our emotions, but we will truly rise up to be mature sons, mature daughters of the Most High, who are led by the Spirit of God, Lord. We will understand our worth, that we are created to rule, to govern. We are created to fellowship with you and we are created to bring glory to you, Lord. May we fulfill the purpose that you have for our lives, O God. And Father, as well, O God, that we would walk in financial freedom, Lord, because, Lord, this is something that can be so dilapidating, dilapidating for us in our lives and you want us to be free, you want us to flourish in this area, Lord. And we just commit these areas into your hands, Lord. And I just now speak your blessings, Lord, over your people, over my brothers and my sisters, the blessings of God the Father, the blessings of God the Son, and the blessings of God the Holy Spirit be with you and abide with you now and forevermore. And everybody say, Amen. God bless you. You've just listened to a production of Cornerstone Community Church. Please note that all unauthorized reproduction, distribution, or sale of the recording is prohibited. For permission to reproduce or distribute the sermon, please write into mail at cscc.org.sg. We hope that you have been blessed.